Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Hello friends, I hope you're well. I'm Chris Thrill. In the 90s, I left the Royal Marines Commandos, which is kind of like the British uh, elite forces, to go and run a business in Hong Kong. And six months later, I was chronically addicted to crystal meth. I was in clinical psychosis, homeless, and working for the Hong Kong triads as a nightclub doorman. So today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about what it's like to work for the Hong Kong triads. Uh, a little bit about these days. Now I'm an author, uh, adventurer. I, um, I'm an Antarctic explorer. I'm a pilot, skydiver. Um, I lived, worked and traveled in 80 countries across seven continents. Last year I ran a thousand miles non-stop carrying full um full equipment to raise awareness of this alarming rate of veteran suicide we've we've got at the moment um the idea of this podcast i just i want to tell my a few of my stories from over the years but i also want to help people that are struggling or people that haven't achieved their goals in life so if you want to fly planes, you want to jump out of them like I have, if you want to write books, if, if, if you want to lose weight, if you want to run marathons, ultra marathons, triathlons, you want to travel the world, if you want to just get happy, what, what, whatever I can help you with, I will. Um, and so having said that, please like and subscribe because if you don't, then there's, there's no point, there's no point me doing this, right? So now that's out of the way, let's talk about the triads. Um, my first experience of this kind of organized crime thing was when I visited Hong Kong in the very first time in 1993. Uh, I'd gone over there on leave while serving in the Marines. I got a really cheap flight through the military and I flew over on British Airways for 40 quid, which is like about 70 US dollars. I think I probably drank more than that in alcohol on, on the plane, right? So this is the first time I went there. I went there th- uh, twice and then I then I moved there after I left the Marines, which is what, what I'll come on to. So... I'm traveling around Hong Kong on foot. Um, um, I didn't even know they had an underground, which probably sounds weird to anyone that's lived there. I'm, I'm just hot footing it everywhere, getting taxis. And I didn't really know where I was in the colony. Hong Kong is an island. And then you've got the mainland China comes down like this. And that southern tip of China there, Guangdong province, not only do they speak Cantonese, as in Hong Kong, as in the Hong Kong language, but also the southern tip here is, is a part of Hong Kong too. So you've got the island and, and Kowloon side here. So I'm, I'm making my way around, trying all this 
you know, different food and uh, seeing all these sites. And I'm in a place called Mongkok, the most heavily populated area on the planet. And suddenly, uh, all this gunfire starts going off down the street, right? So I've been in combat. I've, I was in a Northern Ireland conflict, so I knew, you know, what I know what gunfire is, right? Turns out there's this guy, Yip Kai Fun. He's a immigrant to Hong Kong from China. He'd lived in Hong Kong, I think, most of his life. And he'd started robbing shops with an AK-47, you know, Kalashnikov assault rifle. Whereas, like in um, Britain and the US, you you might get a, a robber who'll go into a bank, you know, hold it up and then run like hell before the police arrive. Now, this guy was going in, robbing one shop, going next door, and he got all these really expensive jewellery shops in Hong Kong. He's going next door, robbing that one with his gang. They'd, then they'd go next door. They'd do five shops in a row, by which time the police would arrive, and they'd have a, a running battle in the street, just just firing, I uh, hope you like that sound effect, just firing off these um, Kalashnikovs. And on, on this one occasion when I was there, they shot, uh, uh, a girl that was in the street I was in and then when they changed getaway cars they threw one of the bodies of their gang member out, out of the car on, onto the street because he'd been he'd been clipped and, and he died finally uh, this guy just went on a crime spree for a number of years and he, he actually died crippled in prison from a policeman's bullet like paralysed from the chest down died of cancer a couple of years ago that was my first experience in Hong Kong. Hong Kong's an insane, quite an insane place. It, Asia is, is is crazy as it is. Hong Kong just takes it a step further. A couple of nights after that incident, I was in a, a club. It was New Year's Eve, and or a, a few nights, I should say. Uh, a few nights later, I was in a in a club, um, and I stepped outside in the street about five minutes past midnight and all the people that had rushed out the clubs to count the new year in together they got they created this mass crush and 40 people were just lying there in the street in front of me all crushed to death with, with ambulance and paramedics everywhere trying to re resuscitate them so yeah it was quite an eye-opener hong kong before i even moved there to live so I left the Marines. My business was doing well in Hong Kong. I moved over. My business promptly collapsed. Um, if you want to hear about that, uh, you, if you want to read more about that, then you can read my book, Eating Smoke. I'll show you a, a picture of, of the cover in a minute. And so I, I was forced, I was um, desperately, you know, almost bankrupt, really, and I had to just take any job that I could. I ended up working this crazy computer company selling DRAM chips for this mad eccentric Chinese boss. And again, and that's another story. And the guy I worked with, a fellow expat, it's called Andy. He lived in a place called Chunkin Mansions, which was this ghetto in Hong Kong. Uh, like these series of tower blocks where all the immigrants lived if they wanted to live cheap, where you could buy all the drugs. And he was staying in a dormitory there with a guy called Stubbsy, 
in the same dorm, another British guy, right? Stubbsy was a, a doorman like I went on to be on a club run by um, the uh, Woshing Wo, that is the triad gang that ran Kowloon side. And Stubbsy's just sat innocently on the steps of the club one night, minding his own business. Triad van pulled up. Twelve guys with meat cleavers jumped out and they just started hacking him to bits. And his thumb was hanging off down here where, where he put his hand up to protect himself. His face was just a crisscross of these deep slashes. It looked like he'd ran into a trawler's net or something or a tennis net at 100 mile an hour, right? And the crazy thing was, it turned out to be a case of mistaken identity. Um, so he'd been caught up in what's called a, a, a slashing, which is a type of triad revenge. And madder still, this guy Stubbsy was just this hard as fuck Essex boy. He was back working on the door three three nights three nights later, all stitched and bandaged up. And uh, again, in those while I was living in Hong Kong, there was this uh, newspaper article, and in Hong Kong they're very graphic. They'll just show you how it is on the front page of their newspaper, so you can see picture of shark attacks with people with their you know arms and legs ripped off and stuff this particular photo was a mother and her baby and the mother had just been slashed to bits like you know hands chopped off face really dug in and uh, and then a baby was was slashed to bits too and again i couldn't read that i could i was starting to learn cantonese but i couldn't obviously read in cantonese at that stage so I don't know what she'd done, but she'd, um, you know, either she or her husband had upset someone, right? So I'll just show a few a few photos. Uh, what have we got here? Um, first photo, Sleeping Dogs. You might have heard of the video game. I was the consultant on this game. Um, I was the media consultant, so I would speak to the like newspapers and magazines and this kind of thing to tell them how real uh, or not as the case may be, but it is actually quite a re realistic game. Um, you know, I, I tell them sort of how the gameplay was. Uh, this photo is in my book, Club Nemo. This is where I worked as a, a doorman for the 14K triads. This... Um, this is where I stood a lot of the time watching some crazy goings on on, on the street. Uh, this is me out in Wan Chai. Um, this is a, a, a many years later now when I went back to Hong Kong. But you can see all the nightclubs set up. Uh, some bar girls here. This is a photo taken by a colleague of mine, Tom Carter. Uh, excellent photographer. Um, this is one of the shots he captured of some bar girls outside the club town for business this is a photo of the slashing that i mentioned earlier uh as you can see you know it you, you don't mess with people in hong kong a lot of um hong kong it's about face they call it face it's about respect and if you diss someone it's not like in the western world where someone pisses you off and you you have a grudge and then maybe they come and say sorry, and you're like, "Ah, oh, okay, yeah, forget about it, mate. Doesn't doesn't matter, you know. It's, 
It's not like that in Cantonese culture. Cantonese culture, if you upset someone, even if it's a mistake, like I laughed at someone's joke once and a colleague of mine pulled me aside and said, Chris, don't, just don't do that. We don't laugh out loud like that. That guy thought you were laughing at him. And I was like, but <laughs> I was laughing at his joke. He told a joke. And, you know, but the issue of face goes so deep. If you piss someone off, they can never forgive you. You know, they will seek revenge for the rest of their life. It, 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 it might sound crazy, and I'm not saying it's everybody, right? But this it, is just one facet of, of, of Hong Kong culture. So uh, here's the 14K who I work for. Uh, you can see tattooed up to the max. Uh, here's some just some magazine covers that featured my story. The, the magazines and newspapers, they always just want to exaggerate and they say I'm a Hong Kong triad and this kind of thing. But I tell you now, I've never pretended to be a Hong Kong triad. There was a stage where I probably kind of wanted to be one and I'll, I'll talk more about that. But, you know, I've never pretended to be one. I couldn't be, be a pure-blooded triad if I wanted to. Um, so I just thought I'd mention that. And here are my book covers. Uh, Eating Smoke, One Man's Descent into Crystal Meth Psychosis in Hong Kong's Triad Heartland. The first cover here, this is the UK cover. Uh, this second cover is the US cover. And this third book, 40 Nights. If you're interested in recovery or getting your mental health like in check, which is what I did before I went on to achieve just every dream that I ever had. I, I came up with this system of keeping myself focused, happy, motivated, and heading in the right direction to, to, to go out and just, you know, take what's mine in the world, right, which we're all entitled to do. So this book, 40 Nights, tells you that story. It uh, gets pretty kind of gritty, but it's also really funny. It's got a lot of military humor in So who are the triads? Um, originally, they were a group of rebels. We're talking like a thousand years ago now, maybe maybe longer. You know, groups of rebels that were united in the Chinese under uh, underworld to fight against oppressive dynasties, so oppressive governments, right? And they would meet in secret, and they would um, one gang would meet in the marshland where no one would, would sort of, you know, accidentally come across them. And that's why you, you may hear the expression Brothers of the Marsh, or there used to be uh, a series on TV called Water Margin. That's the same, um, same reference to the marsh. Right? But in recent, uh, oh, in Tiananmen Ch Ch Square, if you ever remember the news footage, the, the guys that were facing down the Chinese government, facing down these tanks, they all have bandanas on, and that was symbolic of what the original triads wore when they were trying to overthrow these, you know, these uh, sick, sick rulers. In recent times, though, it's it's changed um, to a fraternity against criminal acts, you could say, to a fraternity of crime. You know, it's. It's a it's a crime brotherhood. 
Brotherhood. No, no women in it. Although, although there is one triad that does have women in, and I, and I, I'll come on to that. So, uh, what, what gangs are there? I'm just reading some questions that people often ask me that I've got on the screen here. The Wo Hop Toe is a Hong Kong triad gang. The Sun Yon, um, the Sun Yon run. Uh, Chim Sa Choi in Hong Kong. They, they run the southern tip of the Kowloon Peninsula, right? The Wo Xing Wo, another gang, and the gang, the, the gang I work for was the 14K. So called the 14K because back, you know, hundreds of years ago when they originated, uh, the sign outside the then secret meeting house had 14K written on it. Don't ask me why or what it meant. It just did. Hence the fact that they, they stuck with that name to this day. Uh, they have initiations and structure. I, I won't talk too deeply, but the initiate, the, the, the initiation, if you're familiar with any kind of esoteric, um, society, whether it be the Freemasons, the, the kind of inner workings of the Catholic Church, um, Satanism, all these kind of things. Um, run on it on a, on with, with similar, not just similar initiations, but similar structures. So in triad structure, first of all, you're a prospect, right? So someone nominates you and says, I think this guy could be good. You know, he's done this. He's this criminal. He's good at doing this. He's good with a knife. He's a kung fu expert, whatever it might be. And when you when you've proved yourself, which could be through an act of, could be you have to go and take a hit out on someone, could be you've got to smuggle gold uh, through Nepal, across to Europe, something like this. You proved yourself, and you you get put forward to become actual triad. You then have to swear a series of oaths, and there's a hundred oaths, and they go they all go something like. Uh, I swear on pain of death by a thousand cuts, I will not betray my, ma my, my triad master. I swear on death by a thousand cuts, I will never betray my brothers. I swear on da 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 If my brother gets hurt, injured or dead, I will take care of his family. I swear da 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 I will never uh, grasp the police. Well, you know, I'll never be an informant. This kind of thing is a hundred of them. And obviously the pain of death is, is very real. There's also uh, a blood sacrifice. A chicken will be sacrificed. And the blood of the chicken is, it's said that it's drunk. I don't know because I've never been a triad, but that's what, what sounds a bit messy, right? <laughs> it's probably blood everywhere, but that's, that's what they say. Uh, the structure. So the structure is a pyramid, like all kind of, you know, esoteric organizations and like, just like, like a, a company in, 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 uh, you know, capitalist culture. At the top, you have, uh, uh, like mountain master or, or dragon. Um, below that, you have Fushan Q, which is deputy. 
mountain master, the deputy leader. Um, then you have Peng Chu, which is uh, the incense master, so the master of ceremonies, right? He does all the um, initiation. Sin Bo is the guy that recruits um, recruits new members. Then you have Red Poles, Hung Kwan, who um, in in times gone by they were all former military commanders. Um, now they're just they're they're the gang leaders. Then you have uh, administrative officers. You have somebody called Straw Sandal who organise meetings, arrange might arrange a fight with another triad. And then you have uh, the 49 Chai, who are the, the gang's members or foot soldiers. There's different terminology depending on which triad you're in. This is a, a rough sort of synopsis. And then you have number 25s. Um, they're spies or grasses, so it could be a police informant or a triad from another tribe who's joined your tribe to spy, right? So in the old days, it was all about betting rings, extortion, prostitution, running the girls in the bars, drug import, drug export, drugs, drug uh, dealing, jewelry heist, jewelry selling, jewelry smuggling, smuggling gold, a lot of which um, goes out through Nepal, um, protection rackets, this kind of thing. But times have changed for the triads now. When the Chinese government took back control of Hong Kong in 1997, a lot of them fled, the, the leaders fled to the Commonwealth countries because, because of their anti-establishment roots. Obviously, they're a target for, um, you know, they're a target for the Chinese government. So a lot of them fled. And the business changed. Now there's so many cameras around. And now everything's so much more accountable financially and um, computers and surveillance and police surveillance is so much better. A lot of these old-fashioned um, crime, you know, methods of crime are, are just pretty difficult to conduct now. I mean, it's hard to run up and chop some to... to to bits on a street when there's 35 cameras on that street, right? So now uh, uh, a lot of the crime has moved to corporate crime. So it's inside the, the businesses, right? The corporations or it's maybe betting on the, the horse track. This, this, you know, that's, that's probably still a big one today or huge sporting events, this kind of thing. Um, kind of taking a, Guess it's taken a power away from the, the foot soldiers, and it's um, putting it in the hands of those that are capable of, of like holding themselves in the open market. Uh, who can join? You have to be pure-blooded Chinese. So if you're pure-blooded Chinese, you can join, uh, and that's and and that's discounts people like Eurasians. You might be half China, you know, half Hong Kong Chinese. They won't have you. They even um, suspect people that have been abroad. And in Hong Kong, you get these housing estates, massive, like whole, like towns just built of these 
these tower blocks. They're ugly. They're kind of frightening. It, these areas, they're just cold and grey and they're not nice. It's not like the bustle of Hong Kong Island where you've got butcher shops and restaurants and a lot of neon signs and, you know, flashing lights and all this kind of stuff and people running around doing, doing their Cantonese business. These are just cold, grey, austere, like what we call in the UK sink estates. And a lot of these young men have never known love. You know, they come from abusive family backgrounds. They, it, it's, it's like they're pretty animalistic. It's, it's just savage, really savage, you know, and they get sucked into these gangs. They start in street gangs. Then when they make a name for themselves, then the, you know, the, the triads will be, be sort of keeping their eyes open for these guys, you know. If you can get some really nasty, nasty people involved. Um, they operate all around the world now, especially in the Commonwealth, because obviously of the way that, that, that immigration has spread, or emigration, I should say. You think about all the Chinese restaurants around the world. Then you think about the heroin uh, business, which at one time, I don't know how it is now, but it was the Hong Kong triads had a bigger share in the heroin trade than the Italian mafia. So how do they communicate? Well, there's a drug gang, say they're working on a the street. There's a guy selling drug, drug, drug deals. He will have a lookout. If the police approach, that lookout just has to run a, a, a comb through his hair, right? That, so, so anyone on the street, it's just a guy stood there, just ran a comb through, he's just combing his hair. But no, that's a sign, that means police. So he's immediately told the rest of the gang, police is coming, they will disappear. Um, similar with the Freemasons, they have all kind of hand signs and greetings. So where you have the Masonic, uh, like the Masonic pass grip, the finger on on the on the second knuckle, depending on which rank of Freemason you are, right? It's the same in the triads. Um, that, for example, is symbol of the um, the Dragon Master, you know. Then you have that. Uh, hang on, <laughs> I can't do it for camera. It doesn't feel right doing it, but but that means together, right? Lots, and then there's many more. Um, there's expressions. So again, like in Freemasonry, if you want to recognize a, another Freemason, you say, are you a traveling man? And they reply, yes, I've traveled from the west to the east and, and this kind of thing, right? It's, it's the same in, uh, same in the triads. Uh, clothing was one. I'll come on to that. And then another another thing is the, the eyes. They have a way of communicating with the eyes that, that we just would find. Um, I don't think we'd be able to get our head around it. Um, but I may as well talk right now. So I'm working in a nightclub. It's full of triads at times from all the other clubs in, 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 the, in the gangland, in, in the clubland. And... If any trouble kicked off in a club, say with a Westerner, these guys would just look at each other 
and their art, their face would take on like this dead look, and you could just see they took, they would talk to each other with their eyes. So, you know, probably doesn't even look like anything right, but these guys could just talk with their eyes. It was, it was quite, uh, quite something to see. So there I was, I'd left the Marines. Um, I'd gone through a series of job, job, jobs. Um, my business had crashed. I was getting increasingly addicted to crystal meth to the point where I was taking it pretty much by the time I went to work with the trials, I was taking it every day. And I'd gone into a club to look for a friend of mine to see if he could get me a job. He was the doorman in this club, Club Nemo, right? And I went down in and my friend wasn't on the door. So I went up to the bar and I said, you know, have you seen my friend Glenn? And the barman didn't speak English. So he just, he pointed at this guy in a, in a black suit, black tie, white shirt, simple, simple, but smart dress. And this guy had this just looked a bit, a bit wrong. He had cross, cross eyes and not that cross eyes makes you wrong, but like, he just something about this guy, right? So I said to him, Have you seen my friend Glenn? And it's just like looking dead ahead. No. Glenn gone Thailand. Oh, Glenn's gone traveling. I thought I heard he was gonna do that, right? He said, uh, you look for job? I said, Yeah, funny enough I'm I'm looking for a job. He said, You you do door work? Yep, I can work on the door. Okay. Start here tomorrow night, eight o'clock. Fucking yes, got a job, you know. You know, I was desperate as I just sold my Rolex watch to get this um, crummy flat on top of a an old tenement building right in the heart of old Wan Chai. So, um, you know, in a place that you really wouldn't get another Westerner living. I I loved it, but you know. So, on my first night in the club, I'm just thinking I've got a job in a nightclub, right? I'm not really putting too much focus on who owns it, who runs it, because I'm, I'm just, like, naive in that respect, right? And there was a guy at the bar, and uh, he was working on the new airport in Hong Kong in construction. I don't know what he did, whether he was a, you know, a surveyor or something, but he said, you're Chris, right? I was just surprised he knew my name i said yeah yeah that's right and we, we got chan he said chris you know they're all triads in here my ears were like Ching! you know because what were the experiences i told you earlier with my friend getting chopped up and everything like i developed quite a fascination with knowing who these guys were i think because i'd spent seven years in the military that I could really relate to these young young Hong Kong thugs that were all like shit at, at Kung Fu tattooed up to the max you know there's a lot of parallels in gangs sex clubs organizations that recruit kind of young men like me that that you know have come I mean I came from a real unstable sort of childhood yeah i was a prime candidate for the military and now i'm a prime candidate for 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 this 
type triad gang, right? I mean, okay, I'm not Chinese, but um, it, 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 I could see why these guys would join. And now I'm their doorman, and I'm feeling quite like honoured. I'm the only white guy in Hong Kong that works for the Hong Kong Triads, you know. So this guy starts telling me, he said, see your man over there on the door. Now, I had two fellow doormen. One of them was a six foot seven guy called Daisu. The other guy was um, like a short, chubby, cherub looking face guy. But you can't let appearances fool you, right? He's called Chu Chai. The names might differ in my book, by the way, because I, I use pseudonyms. But this is like 20 years ago now, so it doesn't really, really matter. Um, so this construction worker, he says, yeah, you see Daisu there. And this guy looked like a horse, you know, he was just big. Chinese tend to be sort of five foot six and, and below quite small. This guy was about six foot four or something. It was quite unusual. And uh, the expat says to me, yeah, he says, Daisu, he's a, he's a paid assassin. or He's an assassin for the triad, right? And every now and again, he gets smuggled across the border into China to do a hit on someone, and then they smuggle him back back to Hong Kong, you know. And uh, he said, your man, Chi Chu there, he's a street fighter. He might he might not look much, but, you know, if this guy gets in a fight, he will just pick up anything he thinks he can, you know, smash an enemy over the head with it. And uh, I'm just... You know, fascinated really, and the, and the, the guy explains that Chichu is ma that these guys are a magi. Magi means little horses. That's the foot soldiers in the 14k. So they're called magi, little horses, like like runners. You know, errand running errands, foot soldiers, fighters, selling the drugs, getting the girls, this kind of thing, right? So the then he points out the boss, this boss, whose name was David. He said David there, he's Dilo. Dilo means big brother. This is the guy that gave me the job, right? He said Dilo is gang leader. So he's like in charge of 100 men in Wan Chai. Might be 50 men. All the people that run this club, right? Probably run the one, you know, the next one down the road and this and. and and so forth, you know. He said he he might not look like you know like much. He said, but he's a very important man in Wan Chai. Wan Chai is the the clubland in Hong Kong, right? It's prostitution central. It's the red light district. It's also the gangland district. You you got to kind of be on your toes there, right? So he said, yeah, you know, he he might not look look very much but he's a really important man in Wan Chai and don't mess with him. Okay. <laughs> I'll try try and remember that. So and he points out a guy behind the bar, Jonathan was a barman. He said, see Jonathan there? He's uh he wants to be a triad but they don't trust him. I said, why is why why is that? He said, well he's studied abroad. He's he's what they call uh Uh, something sat 
means it means someone who's travelled over salt water, someone who's been been overseas, right? So uh, there was this guy Jonathan, and obviously wanted to join the triads, but they were kind of holding him at a distance because he'd studied in Switzerland. So I was all fascinated. Um, it was you know a real eye opener. About the second night I'm, I'm working there, the boss calls me over, and I've been talking to a guy about this flat that I sold my Rolex to get, right, to, to put the deposit down for, and and I've been telling this triad the night before that you know my flat's empty, there's no furniture, da 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 da, and of course this triad had gone straight back to the boss and told him everything that I told him because they needed to know who I was, they they've got to check I'm not a policeman. I'm not an informant, you know, who is this guy? So the, the next night, the Dilo, the big brother, just calls me over and like he never would speak to you directly. He always looked past you. And he'd only speak if you asked him a question. So on this night, he just looks at me, says, come. So I followed him. He went to the bar. He nods. Give the, he gives the barman an odd. The barman reaches in the, the the till, pulls out five thousand Hong Kong dollars, so about five hundred quid. He just gives it to me, and I'm like, "Oh, uh, David, yeah, thank, thank you. Um, like, how do I pay you?" Like that. Okay, nothing more needs to be said, right? So. Um, the, th the kind of, if you understand a bit about Confucius, that's in Chinese culture, boss looks after employee, employee respects boss. Husband looks after wife, in turn, wife respects boss. Teacher teaches children, in return, children respect teacher, right? Did I say wife respects boss? Wife respects husband. You know, children respect teacher. This is kind of like the philosophy behind this way of being. And it's really, it's just eye-opening when you're there. Everything's done in cash. With the triads, obviously, everything's done in cash. And it's just all at face value. So I've got a problem. I've got no no furniture in my flat. I've got no money in my bank. Bang, just gives me money. He's looking after me, right? In return, I've got to respect him. So... The next night in the club, we had this real strange incident. There were two Thai girls who had been sent over from another nightclub to sit down and drink, um, you know, basically like act, act as escorts for the boss, the Dilo, the Dilo, David, and the owner of the club, Peter. Now, Peter was the owner of the club, but he wasn't triad. If you want to operate a club in Asia, you, you're just a businessman, you buy your club or you rent it, whatever. You've got to pay organized crime to run it for you. It's just the way it is. If you don't, you're going to end up chopped up or dead, right? Or your business will be firebombed. All your customers will be beat, intimidated and beaten up, this kind of thing. So, um, they're sat down having a drink together. So you've got the triad boss sat down with the owner of the club. You've got two Thai prostitutes who've been sent over from another club to make sure they have a good time. It's just This is just how it was. Even me, as the guaylo, 
uh, which means foreign devil or white or foreign ghost. It's just kind of like a very ancient um, terminology for West Westerners that still stands in Hong Kong. Um, so even a guaylo like me, I'd get girls offered to me by the by the. I girls would come up to me and tell me that the big brother, you know, David, the Dilo, the boss, had, had told him to come over and be with me for the evening. You know, um, it's all in the book. So, so they're sat down drinking with these girls, and the girls got up to go to the bar to get a drink, and then suddenly one of them drops to the floor, and her friend like jumps on her, and she's like shaking her, and I thought. I thought they were like mucking around because um, these bar girls could be really immature. And I thought they were just showing off in front of their important dates, you know, look at us. And, and then when I looked at the face of the girl on the floor, I, she, she'd gone blue. So I jumped off the, the stool I was on by the entrance. And I ran over, pushed a friend off, um, bent down and I put, I put my 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 tongue over the girl's mouth just to try to sense if she was breathing and I couldn't sense anything. So I, I felt for a pulse and I did a quick calculation. She had a pulse like 180, but it was really, really faint. So I'm guessing it was amphetamine, you know, crystal meth overdose, the drug that, that, that I was addicted to. And, uh, so, I reach for the handbag of the, her friend and I, I'm look, I start to look through it to try and find out what drug she's taken, right? So when the ambulance comes, I can tell them and hopefully improve this girl's chance of, of living. Her friend realizes what I'm doing, snatches the handbag, snarls at me. And it was only later I learned out that doing drugs in Hong Kong culture is absolutely forbidden, you know? This girl would rather her friend died than got exposed for taking drugs together. You know, that it, 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 it beggars belief, really. When you, when you come from, you know, where I do, England, drugs might not be the most popular thing with everyone, but it's like you don't want someone to die through taking them, you know? So I'm there and I looked up and I've got my English thinking head on and I'm just assuming everyone's going to come rushing over. And they're going to help me keep this girl alive. And I looked up and I looked around the bar. It was a, a horseshoe-shaped bar with a dance floor and a disco at the back. And I kid you not, everybody had just stopped drinking. They were just staring at me like that. Staring daggers, you know. And... I mean, of course, I don't know why that was. I don't know if it's because they've got a massive superstition of, around death in Cantonese culture. And there's me like, that doesn't bother me. So I'm just trying to keep this girl alive, right? No one will come and help me. A Filipino girl tried to walk out and I said, love, give us your coat, right? She burst into tears and ran off. She would rather this girl die than she gave up, you know, like a, a $20 jacket to, to, to help her. And, and so finally, and, uh, 
like an English guy came up, right? And he was the only uh, expat in the bar at the time. He came up and went, hello, mate, are you, are you all right? Can I help you? And he's like kind of, you know, lighthearted and not, not smiling, but, you know, he was. And I just said, like, look around. And he, he, and, and now I said to him, go to the 7-Eleven, you know, the corner shop and call an ambulance. And he's like, yeah, right. And he's like thinking in English, right? Like, well, obviously someone's called and you know, this was the days where mobile phones were few and far between, but still someone would have called an ambulance, right? Not, not in this culture, certainly not in a Wan Chai gangland. Right? And I said, bud, look around. And he snatched that glance that I had and he went, right, I see what you mean, mate. And that's it. And he snuck out of the club and I just saw him disappearing off up the stairs. Now, right after that, the, the two sets of legs appeared and I looked up and it's David and Peter. David just looks down at me with these cold, callous eyes and says, throw her in the alleyway. Throw her in the alleyway. Uh, did I just hear what I, what I thought I heard? All the rubbish goes out and the skip out the back. If you've ever seen a Hong Kong alleyway, it, it's, it's, it's filthy beyond belief, right? All the backs of restaurants and it's rat infested and there's water drips down from all the, the antiquated air conditioning units, right? And I'm like, I'm not chucking her in an alleyway. Of course, I'm forgetting this is a dilo. He's a triad big brother. He's just ordered me to chuck that girl in an alleyway, which, I, and I should have just figured a way around. I should have just picked her up, chucked her over my shoulder, run out the back door, and then got in a cab with the girl and, 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 and gone to the hospital, right? But my thinking's in England, and I'm like, well, I'm not chucking her out of an alleyway. And I looked at uh, Peter, the owner of the club, and he was a much more humane, he was, he was actually a really nice man. Like I say, not triad, just, just he owned the club. I said, Peter, she needs an ambulance or she's going to die. And then he's caught then, right? He doesn't want to make the Dilo lose face and go against what this triad boss has ordered. But on the other hand, he knows that in my culture, what I'm saying is probably is the way we do things. It's probably kind of like, right, you know? And he's like, um, uh, right, everybody, listen to him. He know what he's doing. Like that. And Five minutes later, the, the ambulance workers came in and they, you know, took this girl away. Next morning, one of the bar staff came up to me and said, Chris, are you coming to breakfast with the family? So, wow. You know, I've gone from being homeless, living on my backpack, skin, penniless, to now I'm not only like, kind of in a gang you know i never was affiliated i'm not trying to pretend i was but this is how it felt i'm working for the hong kong triads i'm surrounded by them they're giving me money for my flat they're they're they're, they're sticking up for me when a, when a fight breaks out in the club I, I get free drinks all night all, all you know all that kind of thing now they're taking me for breakfast so yeah to say i was kind of honored would be an understatement so we walked off down the down the street 
um, we're going to find a restaurant and it's like eight o'clock in the morning and all the commuters are just parting out of our way. You know, they can see this is this is a triad gang. Even though they're dressed fairly you know, smartly, the boss has got his suit on him. You can just tell these guys are triads. You can, everyone's just parting out of our way like, like Reservoir Dogs, you know, like the film Reservoir Dogs. So I'm walking along and I'm noticing like no one's talking to me anymore. And I know it's something to do with that girl. And I figure it's because I went against what the dialo ordered me to do. I, I didn't mean to. I just thought I was doing the right thing. So I sidled up to, to David and I said, boss. And he just nods, looks straight ahead. I said, the girl last night, uh, I did the wrong thing, right? just nod like that and like I knew and he knew we didn't have to say anything more like he knows that I understand now you know and uh yeah that was um yeah a bit of an eye-opener when when I started going home back to my apartment which was about half a mile down the same street some um, Jaffe Road in Hong Kong or the Jaffe Road as we as you call it, if you uh, if if you've lived in Hong Kong, you put the on the front of every road, so it's the Jaffe Road, right? They started like I'd sensed that someone was following me. I don't know how how I could tell. It's just having been in the military, you you just sense when someone's following you. And I'd sort of stop, pretend to do up my lace, and I'd look in a shop window and I'd see the reflection of the person that was you know behind me and. And you could tell it's triads because they all wore a uniform. When we were in the military, we wore a uniform when we were out of uniform, okay? And in the Marines, that uniform would be desert boots, you know, like um, these chucker boots. And we'd, we'd all wear the same style of T-shirt. We'd have a, a, a green thermal fleece on top. Obviously, we all had short hair, but that wasn't partly, you know, that was part of our regular uniform, right? And we wear jeans. So anywhere you went in the world, you could tell like that if there's another Marine, right? You didn't have to speak. You didn't have to know them. You, you know, you could just spot them a mile, a half a mile down the street and go, that guy's a Marine. It was the same in Hong Kong. The 14K would wear white shell suit tops. Back when shell suits were popular, they worked with like a, a white tracksuit top, blue jeans, white trainers. Plus, they'd all be covered in jewellery. The tattoos you could never see because they have them under the sleeves. So it wasn't like you might occasionally see something rising up the neck. Face tattoos, that was nothing that, you know, you'd never see that. Hands, you'd never see tattooed. And so I could tell, like, if it's a triad, follow me or, um, and it, yeah, it just brought it home to me, the seriousness of my situation, that these guys were checking me out. They wanted to know that I did live in this place that I said, and they wanted to know, like, who I was, you know, could I be police? Could I be a police informant? And, 
And I wasn't helping myself because my fascination with the triads was so much that I was asking loads of questions. I'd go home and like read stuff in books and then I'd want to like check it out with them. You know, how do you write this? How do you say it? And they'd be like, hmm, hmm. like, you know, fuck off, basically. Don't, why are you asking me? I'm not going to tell you stuff like that. You know, I, I, I didn't me obviously didn't mean to be offensive. I was just fascinated in this situation I found myself in. So, oh, I started like looking around the club. They had this storeroom where all the the beers and the and the and the drinks were was stored, you know. And I'm looking around there one day, and I'm getting a bit nosy. And I looked on top of the the fridge freezer, and there's like a chopping blade on top of the freezer and then in the conduit that ran overhead there's like a electric cable running in this conduit um like looking up there and there's two there's lumps of uh steel bar all chopped off like this length all the way along uh, so basically if there's ever a, a a fight in the club whether it's with drinkers whether it's another triad from another area is coming to attack them these guys can go in there, they can pick up chains, they can pick up chopping blades, they can all pick up these little lumps of iron to, you know, to hold hold in their fist. And again, it's just like, fucking hell. This is like something out of a Bruce Lee movie, right? And I'm living in it. Um. The triads as well, the 14K, they would have their meetings in the club. So this gang would come into this club and meet. And it, and when they came in, they were all immaculately dressed. It was a real eye-opener. You couldn't tell these guys were gangsters, you know? I'm not talking about the thugs on the street, like wearing the shell suits. I'm talking about like the mid-ranking triads. They would come in, they'd have polished leather shoes, they'd have cashmere jumpers, they'd have smart polo shirts or or office shirts, and they'd all carry these little leather bags about this big, like like your pencil case that you had at school, these little leather bags, and that's what they carry their chopping blades in. So so they could carry it, you know. So if they got attacked on the street, they had their weapon, but of course the police couldn't tell. I'm sure the police knew it was a weapon, right? But you couldn't just tell by looking at it. Um... So there was a, a few incidents of note, you know, I, I was, you know, as I say, I was never a triad, so I never had to kill anyone or, or this kind of thing. I, but there was a lot of violence in the club. My job was mainly to sort out the Westerners who could be assholes, man, you know. They complain about paying for water, which Hong Kong is one of the most expensive places in the world, right? You, you've got to pay for water. You've got to sell water in a club where you're not going to, be able to pay your rent, right? You get some idiot drunken office worker threatening the dilo, like not knowing this is a tryout big brother that you're just about to punch. And then I'd have to dive in and say, mate, 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 come, come, come talk to me. Like, let's just calm things down here, right? You, you, you need to understand where you are. And, um, and when it came to tryout business, then it was my, my two colleagues, right? Daisu, this, Six foot seven assassin in Chu Chai, this, this hard as nail street fighter with all the, all the jewelry and just 
you know, I saw him take uh, lift his shirt up once and he just had the full dragon tattoo thing going on. So, a few incidents of note. One time I stood there in the stairwell looking up the step. All Chinese clubs are downstairs. The reason for that is feng shui. And what they don't tell you in our society about feng shui, and you, if you don't know what feng shui is, is how you lay out the decor in your building and how you face the building itself, which way you orientate it to bring good luck. And it's really taken seriously in, in Cantonese. Buildings have to face the sea for good luck. They have to have the mountains behind. If you live in a building that faces the opposite way, and there are some, you you have to hang um, mirrors outside your door, the mirrors to reflect the evil away. What they do now, they hang, they hang CDs. They hang it on their veranda to reflect evil from their place. It's taken dead serious, you know. You think we're superstitious in the West? You've not seen anything until you go to Hong Kong. So um, I'm in there. I'm looking up the stairs, which face the sea. I've got the mountains are, are like to the rear of Hong Kong Island. And suddenly I look to my right and Daisu is running out of the club with his guy over his shoulder. This is how strong he was. And when he got to me standing in the stairwell, he just threw this guy on the floor and just starts kicking him in the head as hard and as fast as you've ever seen. Bam, 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 bam. You know, just just kicking this guy's senses, right? Chu Chai, he's looking upstairs like I am. He hasn't seen, and he's like, the second he saw that his buddy had a problem, bang, he's in there. And they both are just kicking this guy in the head as hard as they can, as fast as they can, like nothing you've ever seen. Imagine, imagine, you know, I don't want to say kick a guy in the head, but imagine like someone said you kick that like boxing pad as hard and as fast as you can. If you kick it hard enough and fast enough, I'm going to give you a, a million pounds, a million dollars. Like imagine how how you try and kick it, right? This is what those guys were like. It was insane. And... um. This little ratsy looking guy, like I can see he's trying to recover himself and he, he's just got this fear in his eyes that he's going to get murdered by these two guys, right? And he just bolts up the stairs. The two doormen chase after him. And what they didn't see is a slip of paper fell out of this guy's jacket pocket and it had landed by my feet. So I picked it up. It was a list of racehorses. So I'm guessing hooky ones, right? He'd been in the club touting these, um, you know, selling the names of these dodgy racehorses. And if you know anything about tryout business, you don't do that in someone else's club, right? So that was one instant. There, there was another where two guys come running out of the club. They're magi, so they're foot soldiers, right? Dressed with the white, you know, and... They stopped in the footwell right in front of me. One of them turned and he just punches the guy behind him. The guy behind him screams, Do you lay that mole? Which 
means go fuck your mother, your mother's something, right? Uh, and they're swearing at each other. And then they just take out their mobile phones back in the days when they were like Motorola, you know, and they're just stabbing each other with with the phone. And one guy's getting the better of the other. Blood's going everywhere. And then suddenly this guy, Julie Lamo, runs up the stairs. The other guy grabs his shirt and rips it off the guy's back. The guy just runs up covered in blood, runs out of the club. Now, I started to clean up quickly because I'm thinking, you know, what if someone's called the police? Are the police going to arrive? My, I'm just going to cover this up because I don't want my boss, you know, worker respects boss, right, in Cantonese culture. I don't want him getting in trouble. So starting to mop it up. Then I get in trouble with the cleaner who comes over and he's ang he's like upset with me because you never take someone else's job in Cantonese culture. I didn't mean to, I was just trying to do my best, right? But you never do that. You know, you've got to respect everyone's face. And what I done was basically taking this guy's job, even though I meant well and it's for the right reason. So I let this elderly cleaner start mopping up this blood. And I looked down on the ground, and right against the skirting board was a capsule, a cellulose capsule, a fake blood capsule. And I'm just like, looking down at, what the hell? Why would anybody have a fake blood capsule in a nightclub? It doesn't, why would anyone have one anyway? But, and I'm, I'm, my mind's trying to put together, is that something to do with what I've just seen? And I, I was wondering, was it a test? Were they seeing whether I was going to try and get involved? And if I did, then, the, then you know, like I'd get a pay. The, do, do you know what I mean? I, I didn't know if they were like testing whether I understood triad culture or, or what it was. Again, it's all in the book. And uh, I'm not just trying to sell you my book because I think you can download it. So, you know, it's not going to cost you any money anyway, right? Eat and smoke. So. I didn't know what the hell that was about, but it sure looked like a real fight. And then one time, I'm stood in the club, and suddenly a sunny on triad just piled through the door. These are the guys that work over in Chimsa Choi, right? They run the clubs over there. They're not welcome in Wan Chai, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't be here. You don't go into someone else's club, and. With them was a guy, another Chris, who was their uh, Guaylo doorman, right? They came in and they just lie in one wall of the club. The 14K foot soldiers, the, like the two guys I work with, they're just lying in the other side of the club. And it's a Mexican standoff. And so I'm, I'm like, you're right, Chris. Yeah, mate. Well, what? What's going on here, you know? And while I'm saying this, I'm looking at the eyes of these guys and they're all just talking to each other with their eyes without saying anything. I don't even see any, like, hands, you know, gang signs. They're just talking with their eyes. It's just insane. Chris just leans to me and says, oh, I think we're going, mate. You know, so I said, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I think we're just about to leave. And that was it. It was Without any signal, without anyone saying anything, Sonny Yon just turned and they, and they walked, they walked in a snake out of the club 
just one of the bizarrest things of, you know, seen in his life, let alone Hong Kong. Um, one time I turned up for work, there was a Nepalese gang coming down the street. Everything had stopped. The traffic had stopped in the junction. These Nepali boys, ragged bunch. A lot of them are like ex-soldiers that don't want to go back to Nepal because it's poverty. So they, they hang around Hong Kong, but no one's going to give them a job. They occasionally get as a job as a, a chauffeur or security, right? But a lot of them just end up on, on smack, on heroin, and they get desperate. And they form these gangs for survival. And the Indians is the same. The, the, so you have Indian gangs, African gangs. This was a Nepali gang. They're walking down the center of the street. Everyone's just like stopped and they're staring. Some of these guys didn't even have shoes on, right? The guy in front's got an axe. The guy behind him's got got a like a length length of chain. The guy behind him's got a kosh. Guy behind him's got a hammer. It's like something out of a like a you know an airplane comedy, like the the film Airplane, like a comedy, right? But it wasn't funny. It was just more serious than you've ever seen in your life. And uh, I don't know, someone had pissed them off. It wouldn't have been the triad because had they turned up on the triad's territory, all the triad's got to do is pick up his mobile phone. He'll call five people, just say one word, one innocuous word, like noodle, chopstick. That's all you say. That word goes out through five, through five, through five. And everybody in all the all the triads from all the clubs, all the buildings, all the um, you know restaurants will just come running. You know, remember the the vows they take. I promise against you know death by a thousand cuts. I will always defend my brother. They'll just come running, and you can get this massive gang kind of fights develop. So. The Nepalese aren't, weren't, you know, not stupid. They weren't, it wasn't the 14K they were after, but they were after someone. Um, one time I'm on the door and suddenly all the triads from, from, from the area just started piling down all the triad doormen. They've all got these bleeding knuckles, not seen anything like it. They've gotten scrapped with US sailors and, and this triad coming on, yeah. We just fight the American Navy, man. Yeah, we fucking kill them, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've got no doubt you gave them a good pacing. All these boys had grown up with Kung Fu. The gym I went to, right, if they have a, they had a big TV screen in the, in the gym, you know? If Bruce Lee ever came on that screen, everyone in the gym, all these massive triads, huge, Huge muscles, dragon tattoos all down. They just stop what they were doing, like, and they just stare at the TV until Bruce Lee. Are they absolutely? They freaking love this guy, right? You know, Hong Kong's number one son, Bruce Lee. They just stare, and then when Bruce Lee went, they'd all go back to pumping iron, pumping iron again. You know, so um, yeah, these guys were hard really hard you know like in a way you just you, you can't i mean not all of them looked hard some of them just looked completely normal some of them looked a bit wimpy but 
The doorman looked hard, looked really hard. Um, so, one time, there was a load of doormen from a club, and they were in the, in the dance hall area. At the back of the dance hall, we had some seats, right? And I just happened to wander back there once, as I did. You know, you used to, as a doorman, you do your rounds around the club. And I looked, and there's this group of triads. It's like five or six triads. And they're pushing a bar girl, one of our Filipino bar girls, between each other like this, and they push her that way, push her back. And, and foolishly, again, just naivety, I walked over just to, and, I, and I leant over to the first triad and I said, like, is everything all right? It's fucking not my business, right? I, you know, triad business is triad business. My job was to sort out everything else, right? This guy just turned to me and went, I tell you, my father tell you and his father before him nothing will happen to this girl you can go now so okay yeah i just go cool (laughs) oh yeah madness madness so 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 i say so a lot don't i um yeah, one time, the Battle of Lockhart Road, this is famous, this is famous in triad history. One gang were trying to extort money from a restaurant, and another gang moved in to try to extort money, you know, for a protection racket. And in Wan Chai, 200 people turned up from different triads, you know, 100 each, to, to battle it out in the streets called the Battle of Lockhart Road. And so I said to the guy telling me about this, like, how... You've got all these tribes, how do they know like who's who? And the guys from ah, you know, one tribe will have a match, like a matchstick in the corner of the lips. That means they're that tribe. Or they'll wear the clothing like I like I said earlier, right? Just fascinating. I don't know if that came to blows that fight. It would have been like something from a you know, Kung Fu movie, Kung Fu film, but yeah. Um one time I was on my way to the club and I stopped to talk to an Indian guy. Uh, Raj, who was a bouncer on the Pussycat Club, again foreigner like me. When I when I first started in the job, I thought I was the only foreigner that worked for the tribe, and then I started to find out different things. So I'm stopped to talk to Raj, and uh, you know Raj because he was a, a foreigner too. He'd always tell me like a little bit more about the triad than than the triads themselves would. And I'm stood there and I'm looking up and down the street and there's little horses, magi, you know, the foot soldiers, spread all the way up and down each side of the street, trying to look innocuous. But when you can spot them, you you can't like miss them, right? And it was obvious that something was going down. And, and I'm stood there and I'm like, Raj, you see what I see? And he's like, shh, shh, like, you don't talk about it, you know? Uh, okay. And then this um, Mercedes, top of the range Mercedes, pulls up. One of the Marjorie quickly walks open, open, walks over to it, opens the door, out steps this dragon. That's the that's the top of the organisation. This guy, you know, in my book, I just described him as a snake. It, it just, just pure evil in a face. If you know what I mean, this guy and he's got this slick leather jacket on and 
he just gets out of his car and walks straight into one of the nightclubs. You know? um, so, yeah, what I want to talk to you about now is, so I'm really getting fascinated by all this. I'm starting to keep my eyes and, you know, ears open. And then I started to notice that a guy that I work with, right, because I was always asking about triad issues because I just wanted to learn. They, I think the 14K took it that I, you know, I needed to be like kept an eye on or, or they just weren't sure. I think they knew like I was an all right guy. But what happened is this, uh, South African guy suddenly turned up at my club. And uh, I'm like, dude, what are you like? I'm the doorman here. What are you, what are you doing? Mike? And he's like, no, I've come to, I usually work in the, uh, like the Pink Panther Club and they've sent me here tonight. Okay. And, uh, I'm like, is that something to do with that girl that, that collapsed? And he's like, nah, could be. Oh, right, right. Okay. Everything's vague in, in this kind of world, you know? People will talk around things without actually saying it, and it used to do my head in, to be honest. So he tells me a story, and it's fascinating. He's, was, uh, he had a problem with alcohol, so alcoholism, and he'd ended up homeless in Hong Kong, divorced from his wife, sleeping in McDonald's. One day, the triads had recruited him as a doorman, and they'd revived him, they'd given him money, they got him a flat, they'd looked after him. In return, he was ferociously loyal to them, right? And he would keep dropping hints to me, saying things like, have you got it yet? I'm like, got, got what? what? Drick, what are you talking about? He's called Hendrix, I call him Drick. Like, well, what are you talking about? Um, nothing, nothing. And then late, and then, Later, he'd say, have you got it yet? And I'm like, got what? What, do you, what? what am I supposed to get? What's going on that, you know, he's like, no, it's okay, it's okay. So I'm paying real attention to the guy. And I started to notice when another expat Westerner came into the club, or it could be an Indian or a Filipino, they came into the club. This guy, Drick, would go... <clears throat> And the people coming in would go, <clears throat> and it just suddenly hit me. They were communicating. I'd not noticed it before. So I stood there and I just, you know, I'm not going to show them that I've seen this. And I'm just doing, you know, looking around like a doorman does on a nightclub door. Sure enough, like the next person that comes along, <clears throat> and I'm like listening to Drick and he's like, <clears throat> Just coughing, like, <coughs> just a subtle cough. You never would notice it if you didn't know something was going on and you'd been looking at it. You'd never notice it. It was so, like, surreptitious, you know? And I started to look down because I'm thinking, are they doing the hand, hand signs as well, right? And they'd come in the club and they hold one hand like, like that and one hand like that. And the expression was, sick yin means eating smoke. 
That's why my book's called Eat and Smoke. And Yat Gun Holop. Yat Gun Holop means one can of Coke. Right? Cantonese always put the one when they say something like, we say A, you know, A, A cup of tea. They say one can. So it's one can Coke. One can of Coke. Yat Gun Holop. Holop means it's what they call Coke. Coca-Cola, right? Yakun Holop. Sikina. Yakun Holop. And that was the this signal that they would do. And before long, I'd just seen so many Westers coming into the club doing this cough, holding the hand sign. And uh, it was obvious what was happening. There were Westerners who were working for these triads, right? And the more I looked into it, the more I could see they were selling drugs for the triad. They were people getting looked after. Like my friend had become homeless, couldn't get a job. He had the alcohol problem too. The next thing I knew, he had a flat. Uh, his flat had meat hooks all over the ceiling. And when I said, why have you got meat hooks? Like, in your, like it's like a butcher's shop. He said, oh, they used to make snuff movies here. The triads would film snuff, you know, where they torture and kill people. They hang them up on these meat hooks and stuff. And uh, they'd given this flat to my friend to live in. They were taking care of him, right? He was, he, I think he was doing accountancy for them because he was an accountant. In return, they were looking after him. He had a bar girlfriend and, you know, he wasn't good with gay. He just didn't do the girly thing very well. And, you know, and he, you can start to see a lot of Westerns were really getting looked after. And it wasn't until I wrote my book years later that I'm Googling, you know, what is the foreign triad? Who are the foreign? And this article comes up. You can, you can check this out. My big fat triad wedding by a guy called Bill Sparrow, or it might be William Sparrow. He writes for the Asia Times. He'd written about his experience in Hong Kong where he met a Filipino bar girl. He'd asked her what the tattoo was on her arm and she'd gone, ah, oh, nothing, nothing. He said, no, 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 come on, tell me, what what, what does it mean? She said, oh, it's, it's the Sinks symbol for the foreign triad. He said, triad? What, you're a triad? She said, no, 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 foreign triad. We, we're not Chinese. We're All the foreigners go to make up this triad and we're like selling drugs prostitution, doing all these things for the, the bigger gang, right? So so I didn't find that out until years later, but there I was in a club and it was just all going off, you know, all going off around me. Uh, and got to the point where, like, I was getting iller and iller and people say, how did you stop working for them? I got fired. I didn't get fired nastily. They just said, Chris, you no need to work here anymore. That was it. I was so uh, addicted to the math that one day I decided to try and stop because I didn't want to lose this job. I, I, I loved that job, you know. I just felt really special. I didn't want to lose it. So I, I cut the crystal meth and went cold turkey. And I guess it's the only way I could, you know. You can't. You can't do a little bit of meth. It just doesn't work. You don't get high. You've got to do your amount, right? And so when I quit it cold turkey, I couldn't stay awake. 
you know, one day, to give you an idea, I stayed awake for nine days on end. The police had to wake me up in a hotel because I was comatose. So uh, this meth, um, when I tried to quit it cold turkey, I couldn't stay awake. Turned up at work. I was fine for the first sort of like half an hour. And then I started to get tired. And then I had to take myself in the back room. And I sat on this drinks crate trying to get it together and couldn't stay awake. And then the boss sent, you know, I mean, what, what was I thinking, you know? I should have just gone home ill, but, but like stupid loyal me, I tried to, 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 you know, <laughs> I tried to see this one through. And, uh, yeah, that's how I, my job ended. But, um, before that, they were trying to get me to smuggle gold for them and sell crystal meth in the club. And I just wasn't, you know, I, I never sold drugs, even though I, I took a lot of them. It wasn't something like I really wanted to do. And, Smuggling gold. I mean, I'm glad I wasn't that stupid because people get caught. Yeah, I've seen banged up abroads, you know, about people that have got caught doing that. So I got a job as an English teacher, which is pretty insane because I was in full psychosis. You know, psychosis is a form of schizophrenia. I'm working at this school and it was really sad because I'm a crazy guy anyway. You probably, if you read my blog, read, go to crystal.com, read my bio. I'm, I just, I like live the life that I want to live and I try to make it work through all the hardships I've had. And so I'm working with these kids and I love kids. I'm their school teacher. I'm the crazy guy, you know. I like for a lesson, we do handstand competitions and see which one of us could stand on our hands the longest. Or we do, um, you know, we'd, we'd sneak outside, we'd, we'd crawl under the windows of all the other classrooms and sneak outside to play and we'd go and play hide and seek in the you know in the school grounds and <clears throat> so these kids oh I, I i got iller and iller and one day like i couldn't even i, I got to work late and uh, i said i'm so sorry to the head of english miss lynn she was called miss lynn i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i, I don't know why i'm late i just she's chris it's okay it's okay and like i i turned to walk away she said ah mr chris uh the children say your class is their favorite class and the children say you are their favorite teacher like thanks miss lynn and like i had to turn and walk away quickly because i just burst into tears so the tears like running down my face you know it's like i loved both those jobs and i lost both of them because of crystal meth and i couldn't stop myself taking it you know so while I was working that job, there was another teacher called Josh. He's like quite a well-to-do middle-class English guy, you know, not a reprobate like me. And one day he said to me, uh, what did you do before? And I said, oh, I worked uh, like I worked in a club run by the triads, but you don't need to know about probably. You know, I said, you probably don't know about that, do you? He's like, what? You think I don't know about the triads? I said, Chris, I'll tell you about the triads. So I was in a restaurant once, yeah, when I first arrived in Hong Kong. So it was a normal restaurant. Everything was just, you know, people eating, calm, people cooking food. And then all of a sudden, on like some invisible queue, everybody stood up and they just threw everything at one guy. This guy's like, you know, ducking down, trying to, stop himself dying 
they're throwing all the plates at him, they're throwing the cutlery at him, you know? And then they all disappeared, right? So Josh is like, don't you tell me about triads, all right? I'm like, okay. I'm not going to tell you about triads, you know? So anyway, that's uh, my story of what it was like to work with the triads. I hope you, I hope you got something out of it. Read the book, guys. Eat and smoke it, it. It's just a really, it's actually a really funny book. It's it's also really sad. It's quite violent in parts, but you know, I'd read that one. Uh, like and subscribe because it doesn't help either of us if you don't, right? And uh, yeah, look after yourself, friends. Bye bye. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.